The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. March 2nd, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. I realize these weekly journals, weekly journeys, can be as overwhelming for the listener as they can be for the guy who finds, researches, organizes, writes, and reads them. But I like to do what I believe is important work. The trip would be less overwhelming if it weren't for everything that's happening now. On top of the other things, I still try very hard to bring you, if for no other reason than to find some joy and balance. And we'll get to those. You may be surprised to hear we begin today in France with something that sounds a little too familiar. In the presidential campaign currently underway in France, one candidate is getting hacked and targeted by fake news reports posted on social media. The other candidate is favored by Russia. They're also worried about Russian meddling in Sweden, the hacks and the fake news. The Dutch are switching to paper ballots out of fear over Russian hacking. It is now the M.O. of Vladimir Putin's Russia to gain influence in Western democracies by tampering in just these ways. Our 17 U.S. intelligence agencies say it happened here. Russia's methods also include exploiting a country's political divides, supporting pro-Russian candidates to make a country's allies nervous, and empowering those who would disrupt the country's democratic institutions. Say, this does sound familiar. We haven't connected all the dots yet, but there are dots, and here are the ones we have so far. Donald Trump didn't know Paul Manafort before Manafort became Trump's first campaign manager, even though Manafort's well-known in Russia, where he's also highly regarded for his work consulting a Russian-backed former president of Ukraine. A Ukrainian lawmaker, by the way, says Trump lawyer Michael Cohen was also in that country to push for a pro-Russian peace deal. Trump also didn't know Secretary of State Rex Tillerson before Inauguration Day, but Tillerson, too, is popular in Russia from the Exxon deals he made with Putin's government-owned oil company. We'd never heard of Carter Page until Trump mentioned him in a campaign interview at the Washington Post. Trump was asked if he had anybody in mind for foreign policy, and without hesitation, he mentioned Carter Page, who is also popular in Russia. During his time as Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort's daughter got texts threatening to show the world proof that Manafort had taken payments from that Russian-backed Ukrainian dictator, which Manafort denies despite records of those payments found in a secret ledger reportedly seized from that dictator. Among the entries, a payment to Manafort for arranging a meeting in 2012 with businessman Donald Trump. The blackmailer called his evidence bulletproof facts. U.S. intelligence says Manafort is mentioned frequently in intercepted Russian communications, according to a stunning article in The New Yorker. That article also reports more from the 35-page dossier of stuff Russia had compiled on Trump, which it started in 2013 when he was there with his Miss Universe contestants. The original dossier had been commissioned by some Democrats who felt Trump had to be stopped when those Clinton supporters no longer had use for the information— the reliable British spy who'd assembled it turned it over to American intelligence, which then paid him to keep digging. U.S. intelligence, says the New Yorker, was just as skeptical as many of us when it read the parts of that dossier on Trump's personal tastes, and they agree it made the whole dossier look fishy. 
Between that and President Obama's insistence the dossier report not be used for political gain, the British spy was let go. But because that's what they do, our intelligence people began looking into the rest of the stuff in that dossier, just in case. And this New Yorker article says a lot of it has proven to be true. The British spy and American intelligence have concluded that Russia had been cultivating Trump for five years. And this week, Wilbur Ross was confirmed as Trump's Commerce Secretary. Ross was, up until the minute of his confirmation, the biggest shareholder in the Bank of Cyprus, where Russia's most corrupt businessmen launder their money. The other big shareholder of the bank is a Russian billionaire put in place by Vladimir Putin. In 2008, Trump was trying to get out of a $40 million debt to Deutsche Bank. Trump was also hurting from the housing crash he'd later say helped him get rich. But he found a buyer for the gaudy mansion he had bought in Florida for $40 million. The buyer was a Russian billionaire, Dmitry Ryobolov, Russia's king of fertilizer, who was looking for ways to ditch a lot of his money during an ugly divorce battle. He gave Trump nearly $100 million for that mansion, and Trump walked away with a $60 million profit, which made it possible to settle his outstanding loan with Deutsche Bank, one of the few banks in the world that would lend him money at the time. In the here and now, we know that White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus leaned on the FBI to debunk the whole Russia story. He did that despite a rule that limits White House contact with the theoretically independent Justice Department. Only the President, the Vice President, the White House Counsel, and the Counsel's Deputy are allowed to pick up the phone to call the FBI, not the Chief of Staff. The FBI, by the way, refused to comply with Priebus's request. Everywhere you look, there are dots to connect. So who besides journalists are investigating this? The FBI won't say what it's up to, although it is reportedly conducting a wide-ranging investigation into the Trump-Russia connection. We cannot reasonably turn to Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who also worked on the Trump campaign while it was in contact with Russia, especially now that we know Sessions had two conversations with the Russian ambassador in the past year, including during Sessions' time with the Trump campaign, even at the Republican convention. Sessions told his confirmation hearing he'd had no contact with Russian officials. Now, he says the meetings were not about the campaign, but part of his work as a senator. For misleading Congress, Democrats and Republicans want him off the Russia case, and Democrats are demanding he resign as Attorney General. The House and Senate Intelligence Committees are reportedly looking into a Trump-Russia connection, but their chairman also got some heat from a White House that insists there's nothing to see here. And so far, those chairmen say they have seen no evidence to prove the White House wrong. Those chairmen had gotten calls from White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, who was also busy checking the cell phones, including the personal phones, of a dozen White House staffers to make sure they hadn't been talking with reporters. Spicer says Trump didn't even know of that effort, much less approve it, but CNN has multiple inside sources who say Trump signed off on the phone-scanning plan. An unexpected ray of hope appeared this week for the man who repeatedly investigated Hillary Clinton and the Obama IRS. California Republican Daryl Issa, once the head of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. On Bill Maher's show Friday, Issa said what Democrats have been saying, that we need to appoint a special independent prosecutor to try to connect all these dots. Issa also agrees this is not a job for Jeff Sessions.
We have also learned that in the closing days of the Obama administration, White House officials scrambled to spread through various channels that intelligence gathered on the Trump campaign in Russia out of a fear the evidence would be covered up or destroyed by the incoming administration. Obama officials wanted to make sure that evidence was preserved so what had happened could never happen again. The nation's intelligence agencies made similar moves and began to process as much of that data as possible. Russia, meanwhile, may be feeling a little buyer's remorse. Russia's means and methods are being exposed, along with its American friends who played along, willingly or unwittingly. This talk of a special prosecutor threatens to expose even more, and the whole thing could backfire on Russia. There is growing pressure on Trump to get tougher on Russia, not softer. Russian media has been ordered to play down the celebrations of Trump's victory as things might not turn out the way Russia had hoped. No one believes Russia alone pushed the election the way it went because they also remember the FBI leak over Clinton's emails. And even Democrats know there are other reasons the elections went the way it did, including anger from voters and a weak campaign effort from a vulnerable candidate. And then there's Trump's war against the press. Since the last report, Trump has again called the media the enemy of the people and repeated his claim of fake news from the mainstream. CNN, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and Politico were among the news organizations banned from a restricted White House briefing last week. Instead, the administration brought in Breitbart, the conservative Washington Times newspaper, and a conservative radio network. The Associated Press and Time magazine boycotted the meeting in protest of the banning of its colleagues. This was all orchestrated by Sean Spicer, who in the first days on the job said open access is, quote, what makes a democracy a democracy versus a dictatorship. But Trump last week told a conservative convention the media, quote, will never represent the American people and we're going to do something about that. He didn't say what. Journalists shudder to think. It's not surprising, then, that Trump's decided to skip this year's White House Correspondents' Dinner. That's something no president has done since Ronald Reagan was shot. Even then, Reagan at least did a couple of jokes for the dinner by telephone from his hospital bed. The news media was tough on George W. Bush, and in hindsight, the media raised and sometimes found answers to some legitimate questions. And those answers weren't always pleasant. Bush no doubt remembered that when he was asked on the Today Show this week about the news media. Bush chuckled and then told Matt Lauer, quote, I considered the media to be indispensable to democracy. We need, said Bush, an independent media to hold people like me to account. It is important, he said, for the media to call to account people who abuse their power. Quite a contrast against Trump, who is still calling the media the enemy of the people and referencing fake news. And on Trump, Mr. Bush said of the Russia allegations, we all need answers. That question needs to be answered. Those answers are the goal of those indispensable journalists, and they're starting to find things. It was just in the past week that Trump called his immigrant deportation program a military operation. As frightening as that sounds, it was not what he meant, and it couldn't be more incorrect. Immigration is handled by Border Patrol and Immigration Customs, which are civilian agencies, not military. Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly would later explain Trump meant that phrase as an adjective, in this case meaning with precision. Trump's plan to ban travel from seven mostly Muslim countries came under fire from the U.S. intelligence community this week, which said Trump had chosen the wrong countries, countries it deems no threat to the U.S., 
With that, Trump dropped Iraq from the list. Now it's six countries. The government's targeting of Muslims appears to be inspirational for those who would commit hate crimes. Actively hateful people seem emboldened by this new atmosphere. Many seem to see a Muslim where there isn't one. This week's hate crimes include the restaurant shooting of two men from India, employees of the Garmin GPS company who had provoked no one. Neither man was Muslim, but one of them was killed by the gunman who's still being held on $2 million bail as he awaits charges including premeditated murder. The FBI is investigating to see if it was, as it appears to be, a hate crime. The Kansas man was shouting, get out of my country, when he fired the shots. Last week at this time, we were learning about the attack on a hundred headstones at a Jewish cemetery in St. Louis. This week, it's Philadelphia, where maybe 500 grave markers were damaged, many of those knocked down despite their tremendous weight. Quoting the rabbi of the temple that owns the cemetery, this is not just a random act. Hate crime is a motive police will consider as they look intently for suspects. The mayor has vowed the perpetrators will be prosecuted. The local police union's offering a $3,000 reward for information leading to an arrest, on top of the $10,000 being offered by the temple. Donations, of course, are pouring in from across this great land. People of all faiths showed up last Sunday to help right the stones and clean up as much of the mess as possible. There were Muslims, and being Pennsylvania, there were Quakers. Just as we saw a generous public respond in St. Louis, and before that, the mosque in Texas. There have been nearly 200 threats or attacks against Jewish centers since January, over 100 bomb threats in more than 70 locations. But it's hard to keep all the hate crime numbers current. On January 16th, we had 11 bomb threats in one day across seven states. Bomb threats have targeted Jewish schools and community centers in the Washington, D.C. suburbs of Rockville, Maryland and Fairfax, Virginia, two of the wealthiest counties in the country. There were bomb threats in Asheville, North Carolina, Birmingham, Alabama, as well as Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York. Children, including preschoolers, have been quickly evacuated each time in what seems like an endless series of hoaxes, none of which can be ignored. The Anne Frank Center for Mutual Respect called on Trump to address handling these hate crimes, something he had not done. The center wrote Trump advising him to give an Oval Office speech on live national TV to strike a blow against anti-Semitism and... Islamophobia. Whether or not your intention, says the letter, your presidency has given oxygen to some of the most viciously hateful elements of society. You need to act fast, boldly, and specifically. On Tuesday, the White House issued a statement condemning the shooting of the two Indian men in Kansas, which the FBI is now investigating as a hate crime. Trump himself, meanwhile, told state's attorneys general this week the threats and vandalism could be political to, quote, make people look bad. He's suggesting his political opponents are behind these hate crimes. In his address to Congress this week, Trump finally condemned the attacks on Jewish centers and noted the work that needs to be done on race relations. He didn't mention the attacks on Muslim centers. Instead, he relished in using the phrase radical Islamic terrorism, even though military advisors have said the use of that phrase endangers American lives. Among the many detained at our airports, one was the son of the late Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Alijar was born in Philadelphia, has no criminal record, had never been detained before. Until now. As for the Mexicans and immigrants he disparaged during the campaign, Trump in his speech said Homeland Security would set up a new department to give voice to the people who've lost loved ones to violence committed by undocumented immigrants. 
That proposal reinforced the false belief that undocumented immigrants commit more crimes per capita than do American citizens. Another untruth. Fact-checking Trump's speech to Congress, your health care update, and more after this. Isn't this what you want? A smooth, clean shave from a blade that glides like butter and comes right to your door at half the cost of the big-name brands? That's what I love about shaving with products from Harry's, from the hefty, balanced handle that fits your hand to the precision-engineered five-blade cartridges that come with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, and a travel cover. The Harry's Rich Lathering Shaving Gel. It all started when Harry's founders Jeff and Andy got tired of getting ripped off on blade prices. One big company in particular jacked their prices again and again and made a fortune while we all spent a fortune. Jeff and Andy quickly discovered the problem, the middleman. So they bought their own factory, one that's been making blades for over 100 years so they can ship top-quality blades directly to you. The result? Quality products at your door for half of what you've been paying. And that's the Harry's story. Become part of it. Go to harrys.com right now to try their new shave set free of charge. You just pay the shipping. Sign up at harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. And because you're a loyal listener to this newscast, Harry's will even throw in a free post-shave balm. But only if you log on now to harrys.com slash R-E-L-M. The president's speech to Congress this week went over well, at least with the people who watched. But the speech got its highest rating on Fox News, more than twice the number watching CNN, four times as many as watched on MSNBC. It was Trump at his most presidential, softer words in a softer voice, but it was otherwise the same speech he's been giving since the campaign trail, the same speech he gave at that conservative convention last week, only softer this time. And it contained the same batch of alternative facts as for Trump's claim that 94 million Americans are out of the labor force, factually correct, but extremely misleading, out of context. That 94 million includes every non-institutionalized person in the country over the age of 16. So Trump's 94 million includes high school students, college students, Peace Corps volunteers and the like, retired people, and a lot of people we wouldn't expect to be working only about one in four of those 94 million are in the job market. Trump's point is exaggerated by 75% to paint a bleaker picture than reality. Also out of context was his portrait of the trade deficit. Although he exaggerated the true number, the 800 billion he was talking about is for products made in the U.S. and sold in other countries. It does not include the services the U.S. exports, and these days we export more services than goods keeping the deficit at around $500 billion, not 800 Trump said he inherited a mess from Barack Obama, and while the economic recovery still falls short for many, unemployment's down to 4.7%, we've had 75 straight months of job growth, home values are up, corporate profits are up, consumer confidence is up, middle-class incomes are up, and inflation is low. Trump was factually correct in his claim about crime. He said that in 2015, we had the biggest single-year increase in murders in nearly 50 years. Factually correct, but completely out of context. The murder rate has been cut in half since 1993, even as the country gained 25% more people. The recent glitch is nothing like where we were 25 years ago, so Trump's murder claim is true but misleading. Politico's fact-checkers say Trump was mostly wrong when he said the defense spending increase he's proposed is one of the largest in American history. 
His 10% has been eclipsed nearly a dozen times in the past 30 years, and in some years it was twice what he's proposing. So Trump's claim on that is mostly false. Trump wants to pay for the military increase, by the way, with across-the-board cuts in domestic programs and in the foreign aid that even military leaders say we need in the American quest to win hearts and minds and wars. As for the hundreds of millions of dollars Trump says he saved us on the F-35 fighter jets, the Pentagon and Lockheed Martin have been working for years on getting the cost down, long before Trump was even running for president. Trump's claim on this is not true. Politico's fact-checkers rate as half-true Trump's claim that Obamacare premiums have increased nationwide by double and triple digits. That is half-true because many people did see increases, including yours truly. But the majority of people in the health care exchanges are getting government subsidies that increased along with the premiums, keeping their cost low. It was this half-truth Trump used to justify his calling Obamacare a disaster. He had previously promised that under his plan, everybody's got to be covered. They can have their doctors, their plans, everything. But Trump's proposal sounds much like the plan being slapped together by a panicky Republican Congress, which so far goes like this. No more mandates, which would drive up costs for people who stay in the government exchanges. No more subsidies. Instead, tax credits based on age. Under that proposal, a wealthier, older person would get a bigger tax break than a 27-year-old who may barely get by. Rolling back the recent expansion of Medicaid, instead giving grants to the states for the poor. Medicare, meanwhile, would be cut by $20 million. Health savings accounts. The more money you have to sock away for health care, the more health care you can have. If you're rich, it's also a great tax shelter. For people who can't afford a new savings account, there's the high-risk insurance pool, a place where the sickest people can get good health care coverage if they can afford the high price of a high-risk policy. This Trump-Republican plan has been harshly criticized by the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. Obamacare had already become favored by a majority of Americans, according to the polls. Lately, its popularity has blossomed. At first, it was because we hadn't heard any Republican plan. Now, Obamacare popularity is growing perhaps because of the Republican plan we've seen so far. Under President Obama, the stock market grew from about 7,000 on the Dow to nearly 20,000 over those eight years of economic recovery. It's gone up over 1,000 points in Trump's first five weeks because business, especially the fossil fuel business, loves the deregulation Trump's now delivering. And investors loved hearing from Trump's new Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, that tax reform should arrive in August. Billionaire Warren Buffett is certainly optimistic about the economy. In fact, in his 2017 assessment, Buffett repeated his claim that babies born in the U.S. today are, quote, the luckiest crop in history. He said there is no turning back from the rise we're seeing in the stock market. He says it's a sign of the country's wealth, and he believes both will continue to grow, as they have overall since the country was founded 240 years ago. Buffett, who's earned praise for saying his secretary should not pay more in taxes than he does, is also optimistic about immigrants. He calls immigrants to the U.S. ambitious and says welcoming them is one of the reasons for America's economic success. It's partly the job of the U.S. Border Patrol to enforce Trump's immigration crackdowns. It's a job the Border Patrol has jumped into boots first. It's led border agents to venture into enforcement the likes of which we've never seen. Usually, it's the TSA that handles airline security, but that was before Trump. 
Late last week in San Francisco, all passengers were blocked from stepping off their flight from New York, each one screened by Border Patrol agents as the TSA watched from the sidelines. Although the passengers were told, it's not for you to worry about, leave it alone. Later, Border Patrol officials explained they were looking for a certain individual they didn't find. This sort of thing has happened before with the arrival of flights from other countries. Never has it happened with a domestic flight until now. Quoting the ACLU, the Border Patrol is not an always-and-everywhere police force, and any attempt to expand its operations beyond its authority would raise serious concerns. The federal government was well on its way to phasing out the use of private prisons until Jeff Sessions became attorney general. Private prisons were on their way out because they weren't even as good as the ones run by the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and because they have not saved the money we were told they would. Sessions has rescinded a memo from former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates that began cutting ties with corporate-owned prisons after concerns about how they were run, usually with corners cut, leading to the mistreatment of inmates. When those corporations band together as a lobbying group, as they have done, they make a powerful lobby, able to influence members of the House and Senate in Washington. And some state officials oppose the use of private prisons. Quoting California Attorney General Kamala Harris, it is morally wrong for corporations to profit off the mass incarceration of millions of people in this country. The Sessions move comes as the government begins to ponder where it will put potentially hundreds of thousands of immigrants it plans to arrest and detain. Nearly 900 have been arrested so far, 25% of them with no criminal convictions. Trump's also ordered the hiring of 15,000 new officers at a time the Border Patrol is already having trouble filling some 2,000 job openings. On the world stage, Trump repeated his desire for more nuclear weapons, even though the major powers already have enough nukes to destroy the world. Trump's expressed desire to be top of the pack in nuclear weapons is expected to inspire other countries to begin, expand, and beef up their nuclear arsenals. What could possibly go wrong? Trump says it wasn't his doing, the failed Navy SEAL operation he ordered carried out in Yemen that ended up with no one captured, no valuable intelligence gathered, and the death of a SEAL and more than two dozen civilians, including children. Trump blames the Obama administration for studying the possibility of conducting that raid, but leaving it for Trump to decide, which he did over dinner at his golf club. Trump would later exploit the SEAL's widow in his address to Congress, after also blaming the failed operation on Defense Secretary James Mattis and other military generals. Quoting Trump, they lost Ryan. Ryan Owen's father is, on the other hand, angry at Trump's decision that took his son's life. He's demanding an investigation and is considering legal action. When the Homeland Security Secretary was here, walking back Trump's comments about his military deportation plan, Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson were overseas, walking back Trump's repeated comments about taking the oil from Iraq. Tillerson made it abundantly clear the U.S. has absolutely no intention of committing that particular war crime. But quoting a British reporter, who should Europe listen to? Gun news. Trump has signed a bill passed by both houses of Congress that only the NRA could love. It rescinds the rule that banned the mentally unstable from buying guns. The people who had been banned and people who have been legally deemed incapable of making their own decisions on anything. But they can now once again buy guns. 
Only 5% of Democrats approve of Trump, while 83% of Republicans do. Not quite 4 out of 10 independents approve of Trump. It's a new low even for him. This week's calmer speech by Trump may have stopped the hemorrhaging, but going into the speech, things had gotten worse, not better. The latest Quinnipiac University poll out this week put Trump's overall disapproval rating at 55%. Quoting the assistant director of polling, Trump's popularity is sinking like a rock, adding, this is a terrible survey one month in. In this poll, all sides included, 53% said Trump doesn't care about average people. 55% said he's not honest. 55% said he lacks leadership. 60% said he does not share their values. 63% said he's not level-headed. It's worth noting that now that Trump's president, Americans suddenly have great trust in the courts. 58% of us now say we trust the judicial branch to do the right thing all or most all of the time compared to the 38% Trump got on that question. And that brings us to the hot-button topic of immigration. Nearly 6 in 10 of us support the court blocking of the immigration orders Trump signed on his first day in office. Nearly 7 in 10 of us oppose his ban on Syrian refugees. 60% oppose the freeze on all immigration for four months. 53% oppose the 90-day ban on travel from these six or seven mostly Muslim countries. An NBC Wall Street Journal poll shows the country more evenly divided than does the Quinnipiac poll with positive points for decisiveness, economic savvy, and Trump's ability to, quote, get things done. Environmental news, where things are getting done. The new Interior Secretary is Montana Republican Ryan Zinke, who favors oil and gas and coal production on federal lands, including parklands and offshore. Even with all the recent rain in California, parts of the state are already bracing for another season of wildfires. And the records show that wildfires in recent years have gotten bigger, happen more often, and that the wildfire season is longer than it was, say, 20 years ago. The records also show something else. They show that humans are responsible for 84% of the wildfires of the past two decades. Human-sparked fires account for nearly half the acreage that's been scorched over those 20 years. When lightning was the predominant cause of wildfires, the fire season was limited to the hot, dry days of summer. Thanks to man, it's expanded into spring and fall. And a study of these records show that people are starting fires where lightning cannot, in places where lightning is rare. The places most at risk are expanding towns and suburbs that push outward to the edge of the forests. Lightning is still the main spark for wildfires, but humankind now runs a close second, even more so when you include the impact of global warming. Drug overdose deaths have nearly tripled in this country in the past 17 years, according to the CDC. We lost six people to overdoses in 1999. Last year, it was 16. About half the deaths were from opioids or heroin. We do not yet officially know what caused the death of Realm Network co-host Chez Pazienza, who was, until noon on Saturday, the co-host of The Bob and Chez Show. He was also one of the most powerfully gifted writers on the Internet. And he was 47, right in the middle of the age group that dies the most from overdose. But it was around noon Saturday that Chez died in his car while smoking heroin, an addiction he had battled for some time despite that otherwise brilliant mind. He had talked about it openly. That may or may not have been the actual cause of death. Chez had other health problems and took other medications. His fiancée says he OD'd, and she wants people to know it. She says she had no idea he was using again. 
His friends knew how despondent he had been over the outcome of the election. Whatever took him from us, he's gone. On behalf of myself and the Realm Network, we offer heartfelt condolences to Chez's family, his fiance, and his podcast partner, Bob Seska, who remembers Chez in this week's final Bob and Chez show. Bob's taking a week off, understandably, but he'll return next week without Chez. Omar has also taken the week off, but there's news from showbiz and science and other good stuff in the third and final segment up next. Don't stop me, even if this story sounds familiar. A couple of college students wanted the kind of stylish watches others were wearing, but like a lot of college kids, they were broke. Nothing that stylish with any kind of quality was affordable. A little research taught them that quality and fashion don't have to be expensive if you cut out the middleman by selling direct online. So little by little, they started their own watch company in much the same way we started this network. Even the name of their company is high fashion, MVMT for movement. People will ask you about your movement watch with its classic design, minimalist style, and quality construction. Now, these are watches that would sell in a department store for four or five hundred bucks, but movement makes them yours starting at just $95 with free shipping and free returns. That's why Movement is the world's fastest-growing watch company, with over a million sold in more than 160 countries around the world. And because you listen to this program, you get another 15% off that already amazing price. Just go to mvmtwatches.com slash R-E-L-M. Be like us. Join the movement. mvmtwatches.com slash R-E-L-M. Among the other things we learned this week was of a new federal government crackdown on marijuana, even in states where it's legal by a vote of the people. This is apparently where conservative Attorney General Jeff Sessions draws the line on states' rights, an argument he leaned on in overturning the Obama transgender restroom decision. Eight of our states and our nation's capital have decriminalized, if not legalized, marijuana in some form. Those states won't give up their newfound income easily. The Attorney General of Washington State, the same man who beat down Trump's Muslim ban in court, says his office won't allow the Trump administration to interfere with that state's stand on weed. Quoting Sessions, experts are telling me there's more violence around marijuana than one would think. Studies show he's wrong, that there is no correlation between marijuana and violent crime. But he is, at least for now, our new Attorney General. SpaceX won't fly you to the moon, but it will take you for a spin around it. Elon Musk's bold company is preparing to send two tourists into space late next year. In a half century of flights out of Earth's atmosphere, no private citizen has ever left the planet's orbit until this. SpaceX says it'll send two people who have already paid their expensive fares around the Earth, around the moon, and back on its Dragon 2 spacecraft. SpaceX says it's nobody famous, but they are booked and have been cleared to fly. SpaceX knows a thing or two about this since it's been helping NASA develop future missions to the moon, to Mars, and maybe beyond. The craft will launch from Cape Canaveral, Florida from the same pad that set up the Apollo missions in the late 60s and early 70s. Dragon 2 will not land on the moon, but it'll come close enough for the passengers to get a good look and then circle around the dark side before returning to Earth. Sexual harassment of women at work. It's not just for the 1960s anymore. The company that owns both Jared Jewelers and K Jewelers is being sued by 250 women who say they were paid less than men, passed over for promotions, 
and required to attend meetings at which male employees and executives were aggressively sexual. The women say they were routinely groped in the workplace and encouraged to cater to their supervisors' sexual advances. They call the company a boys' club where promotions were promised in exchange for sex, that it happened out in the open and appeared to be encouraged or at least condoned by the company. Some of these women were managers. Jared and Kay parent company Sterling could be forced to pay big damages in a class action hearing that tens of thousands of past and present female employees have been invited to join. By the time summer arrives, there'll be about 135 fewer J.C. Penney stores in the U.S. The historic chain is closing nearly 15% of its stores here, stores that even combined produce only about 5% of the company's income. 6,000 people will be ushered into retirement as a Florida distribution center closes as well. The company says business is good at the rest of its stores, that it took in more than expected in the holiday months at the end of 2016. But the company's profits aren't growing as quickly as it would like, as JCPenney and other companies look at increasing profits over customer convenience. Around the world, young people taking the SAT this year will face the toughest crackdown yet on cheating. The owner of the test, the College Board, says it's boosting security after various forms of cheating, including cases of stolen test forms. The board says its new security is the toughest in the college testing business, and it's on the lookout for new cheaters and new methods. The board says it will also reduce the practice of reusing questions on the SAT. Critics say reusing questions should be dropped entirely. Wild science headlines. A new study shows you can often correctly guess someone's name by studying their face. In short, we look like our names, or vice versa. Your house is trying to kill your cat. Researchers are finding increased levels of fire retardant chemicals in cat's blood, chemicals that can damage their thyroids. The cats apparently pick up the chemical through dust from furniture and carpeting. Another new study says one way to address the violence in Chicago is to give that area more parks and greenways. The study says green space appears to help reduce crime, especially in low-income neighborhoods. Earlier studies showed green spaces near schools raised test scores. How do you hack a computer that isn't on the Internet? Cybersecurity experts have the answer. They say the blinking of that LED light on your PC can be read by surveillance equipment and reveal the contents of your hard drive in the process. To be safe, put some tape over that blinking LED. Here's your briefing on this week's health news. As we approach spring break, a couple of notes for suntanners. One new study says people between ages 18 and 29 are more likely to sunburn than people who are older or younger. And other new research shows that using tanning equipment adds up to $343 million a year to our health care costs for the cancers that must be removed. Weed has become a preferred medicine. A new British study shows that of people who got prescription cannabis for chronic pain, depression, or digestive issues, stopped taking their pharmaceuticals because they thought cannabis worked just as well with fewer side effects and it felt safer to them than man-made chemicals. And hair of the dog is not a good hangover treatment after all. Drinking more in the morning, according to a substance abuse study, will only postpone the hangover. Coffee, they found, also does not help. Neither do standing on your head, taking a shower, getting slapped, or walking around outdoors in cold weather. Researchers say the only real cure is time. 
A little exercise can boost your testosterone and therefore your sex drive. That's true for men and women, but especially men. Another study out this week, though, says strenuous exercise can have the opposite effect. A Philadelphia woman got up to 365 pounds, and her doctors kept telling her to eat less and exercise more. But that didn't do nearly as much good as the removal of a 140-pound cyst in her abdomen and the 40 pounds of excess skin that had grown around it. The 71-year-old now says she's thinking about becoming a hot babe. And we now know why men sweat more than women. It has nothing to do with gender, as it turns out. A study shows it's directly linked to body size, and men are generally larger than women. Barack and Michelle Obama will be paid more than $20 million for a book deal they've just signed with Penguin and Random House Books. Obama and his wife will each write books, some of which will be donated to reading programs, but most of the money will go to charities, including the Obama Foundation. A couple more pop culture passings this week. Judge Wapner of the original People's Court at age 97. And actor Bill Paxton, who never got an Oscar but appeared in Oscar-nominated movies. Paxton, who won fans in Weird Science, True Lies, Aliens, Titanic, Twister, and Apollo 13, was 61. Not covered nearly enough was the fact that this year's Oscar awards were the most diverse in history after last year's campaign of hashtag Oscars so white. Getting more attention, of course, was the biggest snafu in Oscar history, the discovery that the wrong winner had been announced while the wrong winner was giving their acceptance speech. And viewership was down for the third straight year. By Oscar night, barely half the country had seen even one of the nominated movies. But there were also rave reviews for the show and for the job Jimmy Kimmel did hosting it. He says he doesn't think he'll be invited back. I think he will. There's moving... And then there's moving. Over the weekend in St. Louis, they moved a house. It wasn't just any house. It was a house built 122 years ago, still in great condition and occupied by an 81-year-old woman whose family bought it in 1945. Charlesetta Taylor had to move because her beautiful home was in the way of the new National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. The government told her they would move her house anywhere she'd like, so long as it was off what is now government property. She found a spot nearby, and over the weekend, the government kept its promise and, using an experienced contractor, moved the house. Degree of difficulty? It's a three-story brick house. But these experienced movers shored up the chimneys and the little balcony and moved the house in one piece, seven-tenths of a mile, all 370 tons of it, without damage. This was not the biggest challenge ever faced by the company known as Expert House Movers. They've moved even bigger buildings. Charles said his 370 tons was nothing compared to the 7,000-ton airport terminal building the company moved in Newark, New Jersey. And her three stories were nothing compared to a building the company once moved that was 21 stories high. Australia might just be Florida with an accent, This week in Camden, South Wales, police arrested a 21-year-old for drunken driving on a beer cooler outfitted with wheels and a gasoline engine. He admits his blood alcohol was three times over the legal limit, but says he'll fight the charge that he was driving an unregistered motor vehicle. Police in New York City are trying to find the person who was piloting a camera drone when it crashed through the window of a woman's 27th floor high-rise. It's illegal to fly drones in most parts of the city, and that includes the part of Manhattan filled with 
high-rise apartments. A woman on the 28th floor had spotted it just before it crashed through the window below. Video captured by the GoPro quadrocopter may reveal the face of the person who launched it. And finally, if you work somewhere where your boss comes to tell you it's time to take a break or go to lunch, can you imagine the boss telling you it's time for your sex break? In Sweden, a politician from the Social Democrat Party has proposed that employers give their workers an hour during the day while the kids are in school to go home and have sex. He says couples who've been together for a while don't do it as often as they should. He says this could tighten up marriages and maybe help Sweden boost its population. He says workers could also use the break for exercise. But that story wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at BuzzBurbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. Buzz, 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 buzz. Buzz, 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 buzz. Buzz, 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 buzz. Buzz, The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.